Good morning. If you would open in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we'll be covering verses 20 and 21 this morning. And let me go ahead and pray for us as we get going. Father, I thank you for this time of worship that we had together this morning and the focusing of the attention of our hearts upon you and seeing that discipleship and and growth in you really is about change in our heart. Lord, help us to follow you willingly. Help us to have teachable hearts that are willing to be molded and shaped according to your word and by your spirit. And I thank you for the testimony of this scripture that gives us an image of what a transformed life and community in Christ looks like. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, Colossians 2, starting in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right, so children are a gift from God, right? Expectant parents look forward to the arrival of a new baby, and they prepare for it. They get excited, and then when the baby comes, they're tired, right? They're worn out, and the thing is, the challenge at that point hasn't quite ramped up yet, has it, right? As... The children go, grow and get older and more children come along. The challenge intensifies. And it's a gift of God that he doesn't hit us with that challenge all at once, necessarily. He helps us to grow into that. Because children are a sanctifying experience for parents. Right? It's an opportunity for us to grow in Christ-likeness as we see how these relationships play out well. You know, what, one of the things that becomes challenging in parenthood is that we are shaping and molding these lives of our children. And what do we want them to, to be, right? What's our, our goal and intention for them as they get older, right? They see us as we truly are behind closed doors, right? When there's, when there's frustrations and there's anger For better or for worse, they see us as we really are. And they will normalize the things that we do, right, in their own lives. And so being a parent is a high calling. And when we want to save time and energy, what do we do? We we take the quick and easy way. It's expedient to just say, obey now, or get angry, right? Expediency and Convenience may be a temptation, but shortcuts are not going to be the best for our children. And at the same time, there's this other temptation to maintain an image in front of other people, isn't there? The image of the family where no one ever screams, no one ever gets angry. Right? The image of this cookie-cutter life where we all get along. And... How can we get past that desire for image over substance, right? How can we avoid the expediency of anger? 
Now, let's start with the end in mind. And what do you want to see in your children when they're grown? So the context here is Colossians 3, where we've been continuing through Colossians, and Colossians 3 talks about this new life in Christ and how we live together as a transformed community submitted under Christ, right? We are submitting our lives to God's rule in our hearts. We are to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly, right? The peace of Christ ruling our hearts, and that impacts how we relate to one another. And then at the end of Colossians 3, Paul gets down to a few nuts and bolts examples of relationships. So he's given us some philosophy of, you know, you were this, you're now this, put off, put on, and in light of new life in Christ, you are to uh, be under God's word and the peace of Christ ruling your hearts and the way you relate together. And now we come to husbands and wives, the last time, and now parents and children. Okay. And how should these relationships be fleshed out? How should they honor Christ? So, First, let's look at God's plan for families. Right? God gives these commands in Scripture to parents to prioritize instruction. Right? These commands were set in the context of the Old Testament in Israel. Right? They were to teach their children about who God is and what he is like. And they were to convey what God had done, his mighty acts and deeds, to the next generation. Going to Deuteronomy chapter 6... Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. You and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, one thing to know about the, the whole context of, for instance, Deuteronomy 6, 7, that section, is that it wasn't just about the commands, right? It wasn't just about a, a law of morality. It was set in the context of this covenant relationship that God had established with his people. And so that relationship kind of sets a context here that was pointing at the heart, right? Fear the Lord. And, um, and there is also this element of knowing who God is and how we respond to God as his people. Now, continuing in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Right? So it's pointing at the heart there. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Right? You can hear echoes of the same idea in Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, 
but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Right? So we, we see here intermixed with this covenant relationship, following the commands, there's this focus on the heart, fear the Lord, set your hope in God. Okay? There's this imperative in Scripture to train our children. And this is carried over into the New Testament as well. Ephesians matches Colossians pretty well. Same thoughts are there. But it adds a little more connection with uh, that Deuteronomy passage. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there we have Paul in Ephesians pulling some of those thoughts into the New Testament. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there is also these commands to children to hear instruction. You know, Proverbs is all about instruction. And in the opening to Proverbs, in verse 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And in Psalm 34, it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So we need to understand that this is not just a command to be moral. Morality is certainly laid out, but the point of instruction is to inculcate virtue. Right? By that, I mean what kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of person who follows from the heart? Right? The, the moral action comes from your intention. Be that kind of person. And so, growing to be the kind of person who seeks after and walks with God is the point of moral instruction in the Old Testament. It's not simply a set of laws. The laws are there, but there's something deeper behind the laws, right? There's this relationship with God. The rules lay out for us what is right in the eyes of God, but the instruction that we should then become the kind of person who seeks after God in his way, who walks with the Lord... Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. All right, so, second, we should be reflecting Christ in our families. So, if we're going to reflect Christ in our families, then this should be true of each of us and our family life together. We should want to be the kind of person who follows after Christ, who walks with God, and that will work itself out in our family life. But to understand where Paul's coming from here, we should know some things about Roman culture, just to get a little context. First, understand a little bit about honor culture within Roman society. And then second, understand uh, a little bit about how they perceive schooling and instruction. Okay? So first, parents and children in antiquity, right, the Roman culture was this culture that where honor was paramount. Right? Obedience was demanded because it was part of bringing honor to the family. 
And thinking in terms of honor can be difficult for us in our society, but maybe a way to describe it would be to think in terms of like a bank account, where honor is almost like a currency. And when you act honorably, you add money to the bank account. But it's not your bank account alone, it's a family bank account. It's shared. It's an inheritance that's carried down to the next generation. Okay. So when you act honorably, you add honor to the family name, and it's not just your honor. Right. That's an honor culture. And important families in Roman culture sponsored civic events to add honor to the family name. Acting in dishonorable ways reflected negatively upon the family. And if you look for it, you'll find these themes in the New Testament. Uh, think, for example, of passages that talk about our heritage in Christ. Right? It's pointing to how Christians have a heritage in a different place. Our heritage is found in Christ. And also, there is this primary responsibility for the family, and that was with the father, the pater familias. Right? Children's rights were subsumed under the authority of the father. In fact, the father had strong authority over the whole household. He had great latitude in the lives of those in that household. And, but the New Testament was written in a context where you know, it was written in that context, but something's changed in the life of a Christian, right? Our honor ultimately comes from being a part of Christ's family. And so you have this equal value made in God's image. And we talked about that last time in relation to marriage, husbands and wives. And all relationships are transformed, right, in light of the relationship we have with Christ. So last time we talked about Marriage, but in this week's context, we'll talk about families and how families are transformed. So another thing to know about is this concept of a schoolmaster. And you see that in Scripture in a few different places, right? You're probably familiar with the word schoolmaster from Galatians. And in the Mediterranean world, there's this expectation of strong discipline. In wealthy homes, there would be a servant, a pedagogos, who... Uh, is translated either teacher or schoolmaster. And this would have some delicated responsibility for training the children. The role of that person was different than the role of the father. And that's kind of highlighted in some of the things that Paul says in other places. Right? The pedagogos was to ensure that the children were instructed in this moral teaching. And, and the, that figure was even caricatured in Greek plays as almost like a... a, a overly simplified person with a whip with strong, harsh discipline. Right? And that may be what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 4 when he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Right? So there's this contrasting of the approach of the harsh steward and the love of the spirit of a gentle father. And then in Galatians, there's this reference to the law being a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And so this is what I'm trying to draw out here, is that the function of the law is like that of this schoolmaster, right? The, the boundaries are established, the scope and extent of our sin is reined in by the law, but the ultimate goal here is not simply the letter of the law. It's not simply based in outward conformance to the law. It's based upon a new heart. Right, this new relationship. So this virtue 
that was to be inculcated in growing children and their place in the future uh, would be greater than that of the schoolmaster. Right? They eventually would be fathers of their own. Right? They would have a different role when they got older. And so Paul is taking this imagery to show the place of the law versus the new covenant in Christ. The law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. And we see these boundaries and the effects of sin, but the ultimate goal is that we become people who follow from the heart under the new covenant. Right? Galatians 3, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So the law gives way to following from the heart. Being persuaded of what is right, we learn to follow because it is right and not because it's what we're told to do. Parents of toddlers understand this. This is pretty common in the life of a new parent, right? You see them going to touch something sharp. You tell them, don't do that. And what do they do? They'll look the other way, and then, right? They, they will test the boundaries of the law that you have established, right? The point of those instructions is to rein in sin for a time until such a time that they have understanding and can follow from the heart, Young children can be impulsive and not understand the consequences of their actions. And you help them by setting those boundaries to protect them, and once the boundaries are set, as Paul says in Romans, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For what uh, I would not have known to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of coveting. Right? The impacts of do not can happen at any age. It's not just toddlers, right? So there's an element here of growing to maturity. Right, so it's our responsibility as parents to teach them about the world we live in and how to live in it. But part of what we teach them is that it is God's world. So we instruct our children about who God is and what he is like. We explain that he made us. He made the world and everything in it. And everything that was made was made for his own glory. And we endeavor to take them from the place that they struggle to understand to the point where, based on knowledge and understanding, they come to faith and action in their lives. But practically, this means that we as parents place boundaries for their good And they're bound to right action until faith has come into their lives and they learn to obey from the heart. So our desire is to see them grow to maturity in Christ, no longer under a guardian in order to follow God's commands. They now follow Christ as a part of his family from the heart. So the New Testament world was a culture that had those elements of honor and discipline and instruction. And we see how Paul in the midst of that, was pointing at the heart in places. And growing to maturity is not learning to obey the command simply as a command. It's learning to obey in a greater sense, right? What the principle behind it is. So 
brothers and sisters, long for your own heart motivation to be knit together with God's plan and purposes. So Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were commanded. All right, so growing to maturity. What does that look like to see your children grow to maturity? I I think we can actually go back to Deuteronomy 5. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Right? Parenting in Christ is helping them to see the reality of their sin and need of a Savior, pointing children toward a love for God. But how do we do that? How do we point them? Well, first, we should point them towards heart change. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right. So I've been talking about that, so I won't go into too much more detail, but realize that if there's one thing to take away from all of this, this morning, is to point towards the heart. Second, point towards Christ in daily life. I think if you advance the slide one more, there will be, these will be up there. You know, you, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost. The point here is not a ritualistic placement of verses around you. It's giving imagery of how these words should be integrated into your daily life. Do you speak about God with your children as you drive down the road? When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed, what is on your mind? Is it a testimony in your home that you will follow the Lord? Third, pointing to Christ in our own lives. That means we live in submission to Christ. Right? So seeking personal holiness is important. Make that a foundational goal of providing spiritual leadership in your family. Do you point to Christ in your own life? Do you want to live in submission and model that Christ-likeness for your children? Do you live with a disposition of humility, knowing that you too have a judge and master and live under his authority? If we belong to Christ and submit our lives to him, then our children will see that in our lives. Fourth, pointing to Christ during correction. When you discipline your children, what are you pointing them towards? In the way you approach discipline, what are you teaching? Right? When they look at you, do they see a harsh schoolmaster? Or do they see the grace of God modeled in your correction towards them? All right? Show them the consequences of their sin, but point them to Christ and model forgiveness and restoration with your children. And make living out the gospel a part of that interaction that you have together. Right? And this doesn't have to be just parents and children, right? You can apply this in interpersonal relationships. If you're single, you can apply this in the people that you, that you live with. Right? There's all kinds of ways that we can apply this. Right? Pointing to Christ in our own weakness. When you fail... When you get angry, 
How do you respond? Do you model repentance and turning to the Lord for your children? Do you explain to them that you too need Christ and continually to depend upon God for help? Right? The goal of all this is for both parents and children to grow to maturity in Christ. And in the context of Colossians 3, this is how we live the new life together, applied in our relationships with one another. All right, so let's look a little more closely at the commands to children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Paul's concern is not that the children will disgrace their parents, right, within this honor culture. It's that they should please the Lord. Right? The command to obey your parents can be seen, going back to the Ten Commandments, right? honor your father and mother that your days may be long. Right? The, the prophets then reflect upon this. Ezekiel says, father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers exhortion in your midst. The fatherless and widow are wronged in you. Right? Children were told to obey in everything, but obey here in Colossians is even stronger than the submit we saw several weeks ago. Why should a child obey their parents in everything? Godly parents have their children's interests at heart. Right? I, I think Paul is talking about a, a restored, renewed relationship here. Right? A godly parent with their children. And you know, parents have been through more life experiences and can guide them. But Paul assumes that Christian parents do have the best interests of their, parent, of their children in mind. And it is similar to, you know, the relationship between husbands and wives where Paul was laying out a model of how that relationship should work in a restored creation when things are made right. Right. And um, for children, fulfilling the duty to honor parents in the context of that relationship submitted to Christ pleases the Lord. And so the goal was to focus on the heart intention of, I'd say, Christ-like obedience to please the Lord. It's to obey from the heart. So in that context, what does it mean to obey your parents? Uh, I want to look at a, a couple gospel examples here from the gospels to tease this out a little bit, uh, even for older children, uh, with maybe adults with, with parents. For, for Moses said, Mark 7, honor your father and your mother and whatever... Um, Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever would gain from me is Corbin, that is given under God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. This example illustrates how somebody can follow the letter of the law in a certain context and be trying to avoid the principle behind the law. Sometimes people in their sin look for ways to violate the law, but ease their conscience to follow the principle by claiming adherence to the law. Right? But Christians seek to follow the law from the heart. That means following the principle and not just faking the outward appearance. So we are to honor our parents in practice and not just in word. And there's one overriding principle here, care well for your family in every stage of life. We, we talk a lot about seeing people as created in God's image. 
and how we are to care well for people and the impacts upon how we treat people. And there's a direct application here to our parents. How can we do this? As far as you're able, care for your parents, even if it is financially or personally in their old age. And this may mean moving or structuring your life to be available. And I've, I've seen families do this. I've seen the fosters do this recently. I've seen my, my own mother and stepfather have moved near us, and we intend to care well for them. But let's also contrast this with Luke 9, where Jesus said to them, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, so there we have two different examples from the Gospels. Jesus was showing how we can err in both ways. On one side, using family as an excuse to avoid service to God. And that's what was seen in Luke 9. And on the other side, in Mark 7, using uh, God as an excuse to neglect your family. So these two sides help us to grow in wisdom, to guide us. We do not avoid service to God, and we do not neglect our family. Instead, we should live in wisdom and honor our parents while we serve God from the heart. So the principle comes from service to God from the heart, and this is right and good. Okay, so as children, how do you honor your parents? Right? As you grow up in their household, recognize their authority under Christ, they seek to do what is right and not just follow the letter of the law. But what about ungodly parents? If you're a child, how do you respond to that? Honor God first. Honor your parents as best as you're able. Be patient. Exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Model Christ-likeness for them. Ultimately, we're responsible to God, but we're also responsible for the way we respond. So seek to grow in fruit in Christ yourself and model that for them and seek to honor them in light of that. Second, listen in order to grow to maturity. Proverbs 4 says, Hear, O sons, your father's instruction to be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. And parents do have a lot of wisdom to offer their children. It benefits you to hear your parents' instruction. So listen to what they say and learn from their wisdom. Hear, listen, learn. As you grow in wisdom, walk in integrity. First Thessalonians 2 says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So follow up what you know and what you believe with what you do. Right? You will act in accordance with what you believe to be true. Demonstrate understanding by walking in a manner worthy of the one who calls you into his kingdom. And so apply what we know in truth by honoring your parents listening in order to grow to maturity and walking in integrity. But listen to your father's instruction and be shaped and molded in accordance with the scripture, through the work of the spirit in your life, and unto maturity in Christ. So Christian parents want to serve their children well. So here's some more that would model that. Know that your parents want to see you grow. Some parents just want to see their children successful. 
but Christian parents want to see their children grow in Christ. And so the point of instruction and understanding is that we should grow to maturity, that you would honor Christ from the heart and with your life. And parents want to see good come to their children, and this is an expression of love. Right? This pleases the Lord. Know that when your parents have, what they've done is they've sacrificed on your behalf. Right? The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes glad his father, a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. That's Proverbs 23. They are willing to give up things for your benefit. And so just, just realize that, recognize that. Right? This is oriented toward your good. Recognize and understand that care well for your parents in their old age and how plan how to take care for them. Be respectful of them and their dignity. And know that discipline is intended for good. Right? If you go look at Hebrews 12, there's this um, passage there where it uses the, the image of a godly father who disciplines and, and points back to God as one who disciplines that way. It's for your good. Right? Hebrews 12.5, And you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be wary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Right? The discipline of the Lord is sanctifying. It's for our good that we might grow in Christ's likeness. The discipline of a godly parent is like that. Children see the discipline of godly parents as being for your good and toward your growth in Christ's likeness. And then Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So in light of that, let's look now at commands to parents, and specifically in Colossians, it addresses fathers. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents should not discourage their children through harshness. The primary concern here is that the father take on the role of the harsh taskmaster rather than the role of the loving instructor and model of Christ. So don't discourage your children through an unnecessary and unchristlike harshness Shaming them or harsh discipline may force compliance for a time. But what does it teach them? It teaches them something other than the gospel. Right? It models the opposite of the behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. Right? The, the, the goal here is that honoring their parents would be pleasing to the Lord. And notice that the command calls out the father in particular. And notice the overlap between the commands to husbands and fathers from a few verses back. Do not fall into the trap of being harsh. Instead, we have seen from the survey of passages this morning that instruction in the Lord is geared towards the heart. And parents are to guide their children to follow the Lord. And so Parents, godly parents, will want the best for their children, but sometimes the approach we take is unproductive. 
There's a tendency to be harsher in judgment towards others than we ourselves received in all areas of life. Work, discipleship, children. Don't do this. Live under the authority of Christ in your life. Model Christ-likeness and aim for the heart when training your children. Right? Live personally in humility knowing that you too have been forgiven by God. So, applications for parents. Do not neglect the duty of raising children. Right? Proverbs three twelve. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves and as a father the son in whom he delights. Parenthood is a high calling. And it's a stewardship from the Lord. Don't neglect that duty, but pursue it with excellence. Run the race with endurance. Don't give up. Start with the end in mind. Right? Have a vision for your children to grow in Christ-likeness. And think about what you want for your children right? from the perspective of Christian discipleship living under the authority of Christ. Ask questions like, how can you let the Bible define your vision for your children? And how can you let that vision shape your priorities, your philosophy, your methods in raising them? And what changes do you need to make in your home to better reflect that vision for your children? And third, have a genuine care and concern for them. Right? Who among you, if his child asks for a fish, would give him a stone? If you are preoccupied with other things, slow down. Have a genuine care and concern for them. Fourth, beware of being harsh. Right? As Paul said, shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? There is no need to be harsh. Right? Impatient harshness models something other than Christ-like devotion and repentance. If the goal is heart change, then harshness is the last thing you need. Practice godly discipline that points them to Christ and models forgiveness and reconciliation. Five, build your family life with discipleship in mind. This can be organic as you go about your daily life, as you walk by the way. And it can also have some specific intentionality where you focus on certain topics when you talk or if you um, have uh, family devotions. And I encourage you to do both. Make discipleship organic in your family life, in your daily life, but also find specific ways where you can intentionally speak into their lives. And do you talk to your children about your hopes for them? Pray for them intentionally for their future. Do you seek to benefit the whole community of the church and families around you and neighbors in this way, right? You can impact, who can you impact among your extended family and church and family and community? And this goes for singles as well, right? Who can come alongside families and encourage and support them? And last, pray. Ultimately, God and his spirit are the ones that change a heart, right? We, we point at the heart, we point them to Christ, and at the end of the day, we have to pray. We have to turn to God and rest in God's provision in the lives of our families. Right? Pray for your kids to know Christ. Pray with intentionality for them. But pray. 
Pray fervently, continually, repeatedly. Now, you may feel that you've messed up as a parent. You may be able to look back on a history of years of harshness that points to anything other than the gospel in your life. But it's not too late to submit your own life under the authority of Christ and let that be a foundation of a renewed family life together. And it may not be easy, but it's worth it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And may that be true of your family. May you point your children to Christ and aim at the heart. And children, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Make that a foundation of your obedience, a changed heart. And may the sweetness and joy of families who are submitted under Christ be a welcome reprieve from the harsh world around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how in Colossians you do model a transformed community. Oh Lord, I pray that that transformation uh, of the heart that you seek in us, we, we'd be able to translate that into our family lives in the way we point others to Christ in the way we respond in situations of stress and pain and distress and tension. And Lord, help us as parents to submit our lives under you and to know that we have a role, a major role to play in this, but part of that role is living such that we know that what we need comes from your hand. And so we live under you and your authority. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.